0: runasradio.com You're listening to Run As Radio the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 309 with Nibbon PM. Recorded Tuesday March 12th, 2013 Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions. Providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and you're listening to Run As Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Today, my guest is Nibid PM, and he's a premier field engineer from the Microsoft Gulf region based in Kuwait. His primary focus is the Windows platform technologies, including Active Directory, DNS, Hyper-V virtualization, and more. He's been with Microsoft for more than six years in various roles in the services and support organization. Welcome, Nibin. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me here. So, living and breathing Active Directory these days? Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, and it's been for the last uh, seven years.
1: And wow. Uh, I've been with the Active Directory
0: and with Microsoft. And uh, Server 2012 seems to have really tweaked up Active Directory. I mean, it's clearly getting to be a mature technology. It's been 12 years. That's true. That's uh, one of the amazing factors that we heard from
1: our customers. Um, earlier in uh, 2003, uh, we used to have some of the scenarios which has been cured in 2008. And moving forward in uh, 2002 and 2012, we improved a lot of the stuff that we had challenges before. And uh, definitely, yes, it's become a highly matured product as of now.
0: And, uh, yeah, you don't hear about folks complaining about Active Directory's ability to scale anymore. That just seems to be a non-issue. True. Uh, Which is funny because that used to be a big deal, the whole directory services being able to get out to a whole organization. Yeah, I remember battling that in the 90s, and now it's just like, "Eh, of course you do.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, You're absolutely right because we, we did introduce a lot of recovery mechanisms, a uh, lot of kind of safeguards with respect to the protection of objects um, and to take care of some of the deletions of the objects. So the product has uh, matured from time to time, and we were able to con- um, resolve the major concerns that we have with uh, 2000,
0: 2003, and uh, I completely agree how we are moving forward with the latest products. Now, one of the things I've been doing in some of my infrastructures, I like the idea of Domain controllers that are VMs that are just completely virtualized because you can run core on them. They're really small. And let's face it, it's better to have several active directory servers scattered around your system so that there's no single point of failure. Uh, is, is that a good strategy? Do you, how comfortable are you with the whole virtualized domain controller thing? So, uh, okay, so starting the virtualization
1: with Active Directory, uh, we have been supporting this, uh, for quite a long time. Um, as you know, like starting from Windows 2003, even 2008, 2008 out to, we had a great story with the virtualization and so we encourage customers to go ahead with virtualizing the domain controllers, uh, because they can, uh, virtualization always gives the benefits of scalability, then the future growth and, uh, perspective like that. Now, with Windows 2012, considering the cloud as a platform, mm-hmm. we had introduced uh, great features with respect to the virtualization. Uh, moving back to Windows 2008 R2, one of the challenges that we had, even though we fully support the virtualized domain controllers, uh, the customers need to take some extra precautions to make sure that they never run into some of the scenarios with respect to the virtualized domain controllers. Uh, for example... Uh, we clearly uh, state that uh, virtual machine snapshots are not supported in a production environment. And there was a scary part. Imagine uh, you are working in an environment and for some reason uh, there was a snapshot created and one of your colleagues or counterparts, they uh, restored the snapshot uh, part of a recovery process. Now, your active directory environment is going to kind of an instable situation because... We have a scenario called as the Active Directory USN rollback, where your domain controller's replication mechanism will find that you were restored from an unsupported method of Active Directory restoration, and then you come to a situation where your USN rollback scenario comes in, and your domain controllers cannot replicate anymore, and it could cause some instability of the objects. Now uh, there could be some possible lingering objects and uh, things like that, so. We strongly recommend in 2008, uh, even in 2008 r whenever you virtualize your domain controllers, make sure that you take all the precautions. And we do have good technical articles which explain what are the considerations need to be taken while you're placing your domain
0: controllers in the virtualized environment. The main point here is that you can't snapshot domain controllers because if you ever use that older snapshot, every snapshot's older than reality you're going to confuse the whole Active Directory structure. Exactly. The
1: replication mechanism is going to be really confused.
0: That machine, it already has a record of it being newer, and now suddenly it's responding like it's older without having properly reported into the system.
1: Exactly. It's something I'm telling to my partner, telling that I am from 1980, and my partner believes that I'm from 2012. Right. That means... I, I go sometimes in the past, and my partner knows me better than what me know, what I knows about me. Right. So that's a problem, and that's the ultimate result is the US rollback.
0: No time traveling allowed. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that was one of the challenges, and uh, it's
1: it's very glad uh, to mention that uh, that's one of the considerations that we uh, picked up in Windows 2012. And we come to a point where we wanted to give more uh, more flexibility with the virtualization uh, of domain controllers. And uh, we included uh, virtualization support, which is with the extended features, like now we can do two additional features for virtualization, which allows you to clone your domain controllers. That means you can make a copy of your domain controller using the virtual snapshots. And you even have an option to restore a DC from the snapshot. So these two are completely supported, uh, provided your uh, virtualization platform is a Windows Server 2012 uh, VM generation ID-aware hypervisor.
0: So what's changed then? Are you now, when you restore a snapshot, is now able to report properly to the domain infrastructure? I'm an old version?
1: Exactly. So now that's with the introduction of a new identifier. We do have a new identifier for the virtual domain controllers, Mm -hmm. which is called as the VM Generation ID. And that is the unique identifier that's uh, incorporated as an additional attribute of a domain controller's computer object in Active Directory. Okay. So now, whenever you build an Active Directory domain controller, and which is Windows Server 2012, and if it is sitting on a hypervisor platform, which is aware of this VM Generation ID, then the VM Generation ID is going to be available in two places. One is the computer object of the Active Directory domain controller, and also the hypervisor keeps a track of this VM generation ID. Now, whenever the virtual machine, which is a domain controller, rolls back to a previous state due to a restoration of the snapshot, then the hypervisor changes. There is a change in the VM generation ID on the hypervisor side. Now, when the DC boots up, the DC looks at the Active Directory computer object, and finds that, okay, there is a mismatch with the VM generation ID, that means I did a rollback. And I'm going to fix it by talking to my partners, letting them know that I came from a previous snapshot. Now, I'm going to get all the latest replication from my partners, and I'm going to be happy with the latest changes that I received from them, and I just start replicating normally to them.
0: Now, I guess we've got to beg the question, why would you ever snapshot a DC? Like, does that even make sense? Because even if you do, you're just going to restore the snapshot, it's going to get rolled forward by the other domain controllers to where it was in the first place. Like, why would anybody bother to snapshot a DC at all? That's absolutely, that, that's
1: that's a brilliant question. Now, one of the uh, reasons there could be a possible snapshot with respect to Windows Source 2012 is uh, you could create a restoration point, uh, which is definitely the ultimate aim of the snapshot, And also, we could also use that for the DC cloning, domain controller cloning, for deployment of multiple domain controllers using the same snapshot. Oh, I see. Okay. So, yeah. So that's one of the great features that we introduced with Windows Server 2012 using the DC cloning. Um, So DC cloning, when you talk about DC cloning, you have to also consider there is some extra configuration with respect to the cloning because you also have to notify your DC telling that you are getting cloned. Mm -hmm. That means... You need to create a configuration file on the source DC before you take a clone snapshot uh, so that whenever the snapshot comes online, it knows that it's a clone image and I'm supposed to advertise myself as a new domain controller. So it's going to take the configuration file and fix the information from there, then becomes a new domain controller from the cloned copy.
0: And you're also doing all the other elements of cloning. Your SID changes, the machine name needs to be different, IP needs to be different. Like There are unique identifiers to every machine. That's true. So it's just now uh, Active Directory understands that you've done this and just treats it as a new domain controller and gets it up to sync. And so, very quick way to spread a few extra domain controllers around a network. Absolutely right. That's especially when you have like remote deployments and you do have multiple deployments. So it's a cool feature that you can utilize and you can benefit out of it. At the same time, don't you need a couple of bare metal? uh, domain controllers as well, something that the host VM machines can boot into? Oh, so you're talking
1: about the uh, keeping
0: some of the domain controllers still at the physical servers? Yeah.
1: Okay. So these days, as you know, like the visualization got the complete power and the complete scalability features, mm-hmm. so there's no special recommendations that we still need to stick with uh, a specific number of physical domain controllers because we still can
0: rely on the high available virtual machines, which is already been available as domain controllers. But when a host machine, say, you, you know, a whole data center goes dark, which doesn't happen very often, but it does. Now you're coming back up again. Your host machines are going to boot first and they've got no domain controllers to talk to because they're all virtual machines. Like you need a, you need a, a physical domain controller just so the host machines have something to connect to. And is is there a recommended pattern around that, like at least two disparate locations, that kind of thing?
1: So uh, we always recommend you to uh, have, depends on your business requirement as well. It should be in line with the business requirement and how geographically you have been distributed. Mm-hmm. You always we always recommend you to have different sites, different physical sites available. So right. when you have multiple physical sites available. Your domain controllers are always going to be geographically located, and you're not going to hit by just having a disaster on one of your data centers. Right. it's always going to be best practice.
0: Yeah, and you, and you need some way to, to get the, get that rack that's cold back up and running again. It's got to be able to communicate with something. I guess ideally there'd exactly. be a WAN connection backup that it's able to sync with, and you don't actually have to have physical domain controllers. I just find it frustrating when I'm looking at uh, a rack layout, to say I've got all these lovely, massive uh, Hyper-V servers, then everything's virtualized, and then I've got one or two 1U pizza boxes that are the physical domain controllers so that the host machines have something to boot to.
1: Okay, so uh, I I completely agree with your point, which is like uh, uh, whenever... So you don't need to rely on those 100% on the Hyper-V servers or on the virtualized environment so that you're going to keep a host machine or a physical host that's available as a domain controller, right?
0: Well, and I don't, yeah, I don't like running DCs on host servers. So I don't know how you feel about that. Oh, definitely not. The Hyper-V host machines are supposed to be
1: uh, dedicated for the Hyper-V role, right? So now we're recommended to have the uh, any other roles. It's not even domain controllers. It's uh, none of the other roles should be installed on the Hyper-V server other than Hypervisor and probably the cluster the
0: additional feature with the hypervisor. so and i've also seen configurations where the host machines weren't members of a domain that they were left out just so they didn't have that problem of needing to be able to authenticate when they're first coming up and you have to access them differently they, they live outside the domain it's only vms that are living within the domain i don't know if you have a preference there host machines in a domain or not
1: oh uh, yeah so uh With respect to the clustering, uh, we still have a requirement. So if your Hyper-V node is going to be clustered, Mm -hmm. uh, we still have a requirement that uh, uh, we have to have them part of the domain, Right. uh, which was a clustering requirement. Uh, So definitely, yes, if it is going to be a cluster node, then we definitely recommend it to be part of the domain, and it can be part of the active record. So there are some practices that the customers follow. Some of them, they maintain a separate domain for the Hyper-V infrastructure, which is just the host. Yeah. And uh, they deploy the VMs on uh, them, which is in a different domain.
0: Mm-hmm. I see different architectures here. Do I keep a bare metal directory server around so there's something for those cluster machines to boot into? Or do I have one uh, Hyper-V host that's not part of a cluster that isn't in the domain and it hosts the VMs that have the AD so the clusters can start? Or do I depend on the WAN link to that data center to be able to do the initial startup? there's like, I'm always dealing with uh, resiliency here. That WAN link is down. You have to come up from cold. Do you have a way to get started? Exactly. It's never as simple as it seems architecturally to be sure you're going to have a domain controller available for you at the right time. (laughs) So uh,
1: with respect to the Active Directory, one of the good features, even starting from the beginning, is always the uh, multi-master availability with respect to the Active Directory. Mm -hmm. So... Alice, that's one of the factors that we always need to keep in mind that, okay, we deploy the enough number of domain controllers that can catch a requirement, and then they are available, even like one or two of them
0: are still not available for us. Yeah, okay. I mean, and that's exactly the challenge, is making sure that there's always one available. Uh, Any other particular things around virtualizing domain controllers that we need to pay attention to?
1: Uh, So, uh, since, since Considering the new features with respect to the uh,
0: 2012, Mm -hmm. uh, the
1: precautions that need to take uh, virtualizing the main controller, it's going to be like gradually eliminated with respect to the full support for the snapshot restoration and even with the domain controller cloning and things like that. So now at least with 2012, we can safely say that uh, you can have the virtualized domain controllers without giving a high precaution for them.
0: A high precaution?
1: Oh yeah, so you don't you don't need to have a high kind of prerequisite telling that no one should take the snapshot, no one right. should go ahead and do the restoration, so it's like. You don't need to worry much things about that with the 2012 virtualization support for the domain controller. Yeah,
0: there's no longer this risk to mangling your Active Directory just because somebody restores a snapshot. Absolutely. I mean, it really does provide an incentive to get everybody up to 2012. And do I actually have to have all the servers upgraded to 2012 or is it just getting AD to 2012 standard is enough?
1: Oh, this is only required to have the Active Directory to be upgraded to the 2012. Okay. Uh, And your hypervisor platform should be supporting this. That means... The virtual machine generation ID, the unique identifier that we talked about, mm-hmm. your hypervisor platform should be completely supporting that. And as of now, Hyper-V V3, which comes with Windows Server 2012, fully supports this feature. And uh, moving forward, we are hoping all those virtualization platforms is going to come up uh, with this complete support for this feature.
0: But, and are you telling me then I have to have all of my Hyper-V hosts upgraded to 2012 before I could take advantage of this? Exactly, yes. Okay. I mean, it's not a trivial thing to do either to upgrade all of the, the VM hosts. I think I'd be less concerned about upgrading all of my ADs than, than upgrading all my VM hosts. Uh-huh. So in order to utilize this feature, yes, we
1: need to have those uh, Hyper-V hosts to get upgraded to server 2012.
0: And, uh, and, the, and Active Directory itself, I actually need all of the AD machines to be 2012 also? Oh, yeah. Uh, because VM generation ID is only supported on the... Uh, later
1: version of the operating systems, right.
0: which is twenty twelve. All right. I mean, yeah, those are real infrastructure upgrades to upgrade VM hosts and Active Directory controllers. Like that's just that's not a small thing matter to do, and it's all behind the scenes. You're not actually changing apps, ch- adding you know new cap- capability to the the network for the regular users. This is all behind the scenes. Absolutely yes. Yeah. But I guess it's a great demonstration of how well laid out your infrastructure is that you can do this without breaking anything and without any downtime. Absolutely. Because then we're basically talking about shifting all of the virtual machines off of a given server, upgrading that to 2012, moving stuff back to it, freeing up other ones. Like that is a very interesting cycle to go through to, to move stuff around and keep the service running while upgrading its underlying servers. So, with respect to the uh, hypervisor upgrade, uh, definitely, yes, we do have a lot of new options that are
1: available for the uh, migrations and even with respect to the live migrations,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which will ensure that the reduced downtime for any of those hosts, uh, virtual machines that's running on those hosts. So, definitely, we do
0: have the features which mm-hmm. ensures that the downtime that's required for these operations are going to be limited. And isn't the normal pattern for doing an operating system upgrade on a Hyper V host, migrate all the VMs off of that host, then do the upgrade, then you can migrate them back?
1: Um, So, uh, now whenever you're doing an upgrade, you also might want to consider whether you're going to do an in place upgrade or it's going to be because uh, with respect to the 2012, you might even want to consider about your hardware platform upgrade. Uh, So, if uh, you're going to go ahead with a hardware platform upgrade, you're you're definitely not going to do kind of an removal and reinstallation, right. you're going to bring up new hardware and configure it
0: for the 2012. So you light a new set of hardware up in 2012, then move the VMs over to it, and then you can decommission or repurpose the old hardware. Exactly. I mean, that, that's nice. It's just expensive, right? Like, you just Do you have to buy new gear? Yeah, with respect to the new hardware and the capabilities, definitely, yes. And then it's always a question of what do you do with the old hardware? Because there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not as new. <laughs> oh, uh, it, it, it completely depends on
1: whether you can, uh, with a, you can still go ahead and rely on that old hardware. Uh, because if it is being certified for the 2012 uh, hypervisor, mm-hmm. uh, definitely, yes, we can utilize that. Uh, if not, we definitely need to consider the operation of the same.
0: Well, I mean, I guess the question is: Is there any hardware certified for two thousand eight R two that isn't also certified for twenty twelve?
1: Uh, not really.
0: Yeah, I would think they would both. They both run everything. The, the hardware just hasn't changed that much. Okay,
1: so that's right. The sixty four bit platform didn't change much. Uh, obviously, we still need to have kind of a vendor certification which says that it is certified for Windows
0: Server twenty twelve. Right. Let me dig into some of the other features in 2012 for Active Directory, uh, some of the new management tools. Definitely love to talk about some of the features which definitely help the customers to get a power, powerful platform
1: for uh, Windows 2012.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, let's talk a little more about some of the deployment uh, options that we have, which is made easy, and some of the simplified management options that we have with Windows Server 2012. Um, With Windows 2000, or I can say, till 2008 R2, uh, whenever we think about introducing a new domain controller, which is uh, with Windows Server 2012, or even uh, before that, with Windows 2008 R2, uh, we try to introduce a new domain controller. You always need to do the separate operation, which is the domain preparation and the force preparation, which is for introducing the new domain controller. Now, uh, all these things were having separate tools. Uh, for example, we had the uh, AD preparation tool, uh, which we use it for the domain preparation and the forest preparation. Uh, now, which was part of the uh, 2008 R2 CD, and but we still need to run it as a separate tool to prepare your forest and domain. Now, with Windows Server 2012, we do have an integrated single uh, graphical interface, which can allow us to do all these tasks from the single interface, and it can allow us to start introducing new 2012 domain controllers just one
0: single graphical user interface. Okay. Which is definitely one of the powerful options that we have. So no more AD prep in our lives? We do have AD prep, which is part of the GUI. Right. So it's PowerShell-based command. Okay. But you don't
1: need to look for a separate tool for the AD prep.
0: Right. Yeah. And what's this tool called?
1: Oh, This is the Active Directory uh, Server Installation Wizard, Mm -hmm. which is
0: the AD installation wizard. Okay. And, yeah, it's, and it now takes over all of reset. those roles. That did everything about prepping and deploying new servers is run through a new GUI app.
1: Exactly. Great. The Active Directory Configuration wizard takes care of all this stuff.
0: And are you actually mapping out your whole Active Directory infrastructure, in it, or is it just wizards for running each of the things you need to run?
1: So uh, we what we are trying with this tool, uh, the Active Directory Configuration wizard, we are giving some flexibilities with respect to the remote installation of the domain controllers, um, and also to perform some additional tasks which is re- required for the preparation of the domain and the forest. So we are integrating lot many tasks of deployment into one GUI, and that's the Active Directory configuration visit.
0: Okay. So that's deployment. What about day-to-day operations?
1: Day-to-day operations, you do have the Active Directory Management Console, mm-hmm. uh, which integrates all, all your uh, tasks into one GUI, which is the Active Directory Administrative Center, uh, which takes care of your user object management, uh, your schema management, your configuration management.
0: Uh, so that's one-stop sh- shop for the Active Directory administration. Nice. And, it, and of course, they, then you get into, I hate to even go down the path because that's a whole other show of group policy around Active Directory. That's a huge, huge topic. That's, that's true. So all these management are coming
1: under one place. And you, And if you notice the Windows Server 2012, mm-hmm. the server manager is absolutely powerful. That means all your uh, MMCs. Earlier, you might be opening, being an administrator, you might open maybe 10 MMCs at, uh, on, a sc- on your screen to mm-hmm. do your daily operations. Sure. Now, just using one server manager window, you're going to handle all your roles and servers within
0: one GUI. Yeah, a lot less complexity. That's absolutely an awesome feature for the administrators. Um, What about stuff like tuning password rules? Cause, uh, I mean, the default password rules for Active Directory aren't horrible, but, you know, I'm getting more and more into passphrases and wanted to use the high entropy uh, style of passwords. And uh, by default, the configuration doesn't allow that. I think the whole you require a number, require punctuation seems silly that, that a 60-character passphrase has more security than eight random alphanumeric characters, so let them enter longer ones without all the weird symbols. Uh, and have we done much in the way of actually tuning the password rules for in 2012?
1: So uh, one of the features with respect to the passwords that I can tell you is the uh, new GUI that we have introduced for the fine-grained password policy. Uh, that's the uh, new feature that has uh, introduced with Windows Server 2012. So, uh, we introduced the fine-grained password policies in Windows 2008, the main functional level. And we had a challenge with that. Uh, one of the challenges were creation of those password policies were a bit difficult, uh, because we have to use the ADSI, uh, the management snap-in, uh, in order to create those objects, which mm-hmm. is called as the password configuration objects. Now, uh, with 20- 2012, what we did is we created a GUI. Using that one, you can do kind of a simplified management of your fine grained password policies. Now, the main purpose of the fine grained password policy, when we introduced in Windows 2008, uh, we had uh, in Windows 2003 we had a limitation that within a domain we are only going to have one password policy. Now, uh, 2008 we took out that even though we still have a domain level or domain-wide password policy, we introduced the new concept of having uh, the fine grained password policy. So you can customize your password policy and assign to a specific set of users or security groups so that they can enjoy having a different set of password
0: policy other than the default domain password policy. Right. I guess we should, we really need to f- define what fine grained means. And I guess at one level it's this idea that, hey, I want anybody with any administrator privileges to have a much more strict set of policies versus a, exactly. a regular run-of-the-mill user, or we have a set of users that, that deal with sensitive material, and so their password policies have to be more significant. Exactly. And then the other element here is what are the kinds of policies that we could enforce? Obviously, minimum length, maximum length, uh, character types required. I mean, what else could you get into? So we do have the uh,
1: complexity. We do have the minimum length, minimum password length, minimum uh, password age, maximum password age, uh, then the local policies. Mm-hmm. So these are the uh, these are the default policy sets that we have even starting
0: from 2003. That still remains the same with fine-grained password policy. Uh, the other policy I could think of is how many times you can reuse a given password. Like I've seen situations where a password could only be used once. The password history. Right. So how, and can you control how deep a history you keep or do you always keep it all? Oh, that's, that's always uh, recommended to keep it on a higher number mm-hmm. so that you
1: never allow the uh, users to use the same password. Right. But uh, one, of, one of the things that we noted from the field is we have seen that customers are setting the password history, but at the same time, they're not much looking at the minimum password age. Right. Because they, uh, they keep the minimum password age at zero. That means a user who really wants to go back to his password, which is the 10th password before, uh, he can just do 10 attempts. Within 10 minutes, he can go back to his old password. Right. So that, that that's always you need to keep in mind. Whenever you're setting the history, you also need to make sure that you give enough room space for the minimum password age so that your users are at least not going
0: to revert back to the old password as early as possible. Yeah, I always get in the situation of if we make passwords too difficult, they end up writing them down. That's true. (laughs) But considering the current scenario with respect to the preferences that's given for the security,
1: uh, we have to emphasize these kind of policies, especially with those kind of privileged accounts that we use, Mm -hmm. uh, like the administrator or even the server management accounts
0: or service accounts. We need to make sure that they follow all these security best practices. Yeah. At some point, the best practice will be not to have passwords anymore. I, I I don't see that sooner. It's just getting you know so painful to deal with, and, and getting more, You know, it's getting to a point here now where, and, and out in the wild, we're looking at how bad passwords are, and here we are setting policies that are so much more advanced than what's actually happening out in the world. You got to wonder, like, all right, I something tells me our passwords aren't the vulnerability here. We we're we're far enough along. How much harder do we have to make it? And it just speaks to this idea that. The password itself is the problem. Actually, the the you know the user knowing that password, so that he can you know in the end, every, no policy can overcome the five dollar wrench and a good threat and a beating. They're going to log them in for that. So, you know, we have to come up with a better way.
1: I agree with that thought.
0: Any other last words around the directory management? Um. Uh,
1: so the the main the main management options, as we di- discussed, the deployment and the management. Uh, now, we do have the single graphical user interfaces, mm-hmm. so it's it's always better for the administrators to utilize them because they are fully powered by the PowerShell in the backend. Right. So, uh, with, with the flexibility of PowerShell, you always have the options to customize them. You always have the options to script them. So, it's always a great tool and great management interfaces. Which will make administrator life easier for deployment and even for the management.
0: Well, and I really appreciate that Microsoft, bit by bit, is moving to that model across the board. That all GUIs actually generate PowerShell under the hood, so there's nothing you could do in a GUI that you couldn't do in a script. That's true. Yeah, and everything is based on PowerShell. Yeah, in the end, it's all PowerShell all the time. Yep, yeah, you're right. Well, I've seen this. I mean, clearly that works that way in Exchange. It works that way in our IIS. Exactly. Even with virtualization, even yeah. with clustering we are introducing
1: PowerShell commandlets for almost all the features that we uh, introduced with Windows servers.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll all get there. I think I'm looking at you, SQL Server. You're next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're next in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, I think they, they, they're You're due right. to for the great PowerShell revision. Absolutely. Well, Nibin, it's been great talking to you. Uh, any last words, uh, things we should be looking for, uh, blog posts? Uh, where can we learn more?
1: Oh, definitely. So... Um, we do have some of the interesting blogs uh, with respect to the Active Directory, which is from um, even our PFE group, which is the Premier Field Engineering blog, mm-hmm. which is the Ask PFE. Uh, that's one of the wonderful blogs. You get the real field experience from our Premier Field Engineers. Uh, we also do have some other blogs, which is uh, Ask Directory Services Team, which is the TechNet blog. And we do have uh, a couple of other TechNet articles, which explains the Windows you Server 2012 features and uh, latest additions to those features. So I always recommend to go ahead and read those uh, latest features and implement them
0: to empower your platform uh, moving forward with Windows Server 2012. Awesome. Nibit, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me here. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.